Cardinal Blaise Supage of Chicago is in deep trouble. That is, if church militants' reporting is accurate, and I have no reason to doubt that it is. If you heard, haven't heard about this story, it's a nauseating one that comes right off the pages of a Malachi Martin novel. In this case, it literally comes off the pages of a Malachi Martin novel. In this case, his infamous novel, Windswept House, a novel and author who have both been slimed by the Catholic commentariat for being sensational and not worthy of consideration. And this, his story's premise, that a satanic cabal comprised of Italians, Americans, Brits, and others, all associated with Freemasons of a particularly Israeli nature, enthroned Lucifer in the Vatican in order to secularize the church, has been laughed off by some Catholic commentators as a stupid conspiracy theory not worth considering even in light of the infiltration of the church by her enemies. Late last week, Church Militant obtained documentation from insiders at the Archdiocese of Chicago that show that there are records of allegations against Cardinal Joseph Bernadine that charge him with sexually assaulting a young boy in a satanic ritual meant to profanize the Holy Eucharist. These charges come from 1957, when Bernadine was a priest in South Carolina, and fits the time frame Martin lays out in his novel. What's worse is that Church Militant says they have more, and even worse, information about Bernadine that comes straight from the Archdiocesan Records Office. Cardinal Supich is allegedly being investigated by the federal government for hiding these documents from federal investigators, when they recently asked for all records of abuse in the Archdiocesan files. If true, Supich is guilty of a horrendous cover-up. I'm not going to regurgitate Church Militant's story. That'd be a waste of everyone's time. I'm waiting today, like some of you probably are, to the release of that story. I have no reason to doubt the veracity of the story either, given Church Militant's record of reporting of the cover-up of clerical abuse, financial malfeasance, and general corruption in the church today. Instead, I'll focus on the history of these allegations. Malachi Martin aside, these allegations against Bernadine are actually nothing new. Various people have been trying to point out Bernadine's crimes for decades, and always the allegations fall on deaf ears. In some circles, he is still considered a hero of the progressive church in America, which is shocking given that allegations of sexual crimes have been made against him for many, many years now. Still, I imagine that even in the comments of this video, you're going to see the people denouncing these allegations, and they'll remind you that Martin was a kook or something. Still, I'm going to disregard all of that and go into some of the allegations for you. They're going to make you very uncomfortable. So let's get straight into this. Twenty years ago, Stephen Brady, founder of Roman Catholic Faithful, published an article in the RCF newsletter that goes over Bernadine's actual legacy. The late cardinal used his influence to attack church teaching on all manner of things, including sexual morality and abortion. Remember the phrase, seamless garment? Bernadine is the author of that phrase, and it should now be consigned to the dustbin of history. That phrase is why you see some heretical Catholics equating abortion with long-term unemployment or the health of the environment. Bernadine used that phrase and the power it had rhetorically to help establish a network of bishops and political allies in the U.S. that still have a grip of power on the church. He was allies with then-Bishop McCarrick, Bishop Daniel Ryan, who resigned in 1999 amid scandals thanks to Brady's pressure, and others who, have, who had helped drive the church in America to this cliff's edge, if not the, off the cliff itself. 
The next time you see a USCCB article denouncing racism or calling for open borders or whatever leftist political issue is popular that day, Joseph Bernadine is one of that document's spiritual authors. After all, Bernadine was president of the USCCB back when it was first founded as the National Conference of Catholic Bishops. To quote Brady's article from 20 years ago, quote, Bernadine received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Clinton and was honored posthumously by the Masons. He was a friend of Call to Action and allowed them to operate on church pet property. He even went so far as to speak out against then-Bishop Fabian Bruskowitz for excommunicating CTA members in his own diocese. History has taught us that the Cardinal usually came down on the liberal side of every issue, but what is his legacy? What about his faith? End quote. For those not familiar with them, Call to Action is a heterodox group that promotes essentially liberation theology on a church-wide scale, mostly focusing in the United States, but has taken action in South America and elsewhere. They continue to operate today despite numerous members having been excommunicated by some of the few remaining Orthodox bishops. Their website to this day brags that they were based in Chicago and experienced great success during the tenure of Cardinal Bernadine. The little mention is made of him by name. CTA denounces John Paul II for being too conservative and for preventing the liberalization of the church, if you can believe it. To give you an idea, this organization's website references the 1976 Detroit CTA conference, where it called for radical change in the church, quoting their website. At the end of three momentous days of discussion and debate, the assembly declared that the church must stand up to the chronic racism, sexism, militarism, and poverty in modern society. And to do so in a credible way, the church must reevaluate its positions on issues like celibacy for priests, the male-only clergy, homosexuality, birth control, and the involvement of every level of the church in important decisions. End quote. Does any of that sound familiar to you 40 years later? It should. It's the playbook the modernists have been using to corrupt the church in the U.S. and abroad for decades, and it continues to do so today. This group was based out of Bernadine's backyard and experienced great success in his tenure as Cardinal of Chicago. Back to Bernadine himself, though. His close associates were truly signs of salt and light in the church. I'm being sarcastic there. The law firm that just so happens to represent the Archdiocese of Chicago handled a sexual abuse settlement made against one of Bernadine's closest friends from Charles Charleston, South Carolina, one Monsignor Frederick J. Hopwood, who pled guilty to sexual abuse charges in 1994. In fact, several priests who were in his circle of friends would end up pleading to guilty to charges of sexual abuse in the 1990s, when the abuse crisis hit the church and was beginning to ramp up. Bernadine was at the center of it. But what makes this bizarre is the allegations against Hopwood and Bernadine by extension. The two had lived together for many years, a practice that isn't uncommon among priests. Hopwood wasn't alleged to have abused only a handful of boys. He is accused of abusing hundreds of them. Hundreds. Again, does this sound familiar? Hopwood was just like McCarrick, but without the political success of McCarrick. Though he did have a politically powerful friend in Cardinal Bernadine. But the story of Bernadine also involves allegations of murder, organized murder, specifically at least two counts. One priest, Father Greeley, wrote a tell-all book in 1999 that offhandedly said that the sexual corruption of the clergy in Chicago was much worse than anyone knew, and that the group had had one man murdered as a result, and had then murdered the murderer. He has never named names, saying, and I quote from his book in the Brady article, quote, 
They are a dangerous group. There is a reason to believe that they are responsible for at least one murder and may perhaps have been involved in the murder of the murderer. Am I afraid of them? Not particularly. They know that I have in safekeeping information which would implicate them. I am more of a threat to them dead than alive. End quote. The murder in question, possibly the murder of Francis E. Pellegrini, aged 47, who had been found murdered in his apartment in Chicago. He had been stabbed at least 20 times. His dog had also been stabbed. Pellegrini had been the organist and choir director at All Saints St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church. He had also been a professor at a local small university. It is believed that he was going to blow the lid off the so-called Boys Club, the secret group of organized pedophile clerics in the Chicago Archdiocese. Then there's the story of Agnes from Malachi Martin's Windswept House. Despite what you may be hearing from some of the Catholic media, the allegations that came forward that I mentioned at the start of this video about rape as part of a ritual to profane Holy Eucharist does not involve the character Agnes from Windswept House. They are two different people, though maybe that'll change as more developments come out. But for now, I stand with that. For those not familiar with the story, in that novel, a group of American churchmen, led by a character named Leonardin, hold a black mass in a parish church in South Carolina on the feasts of Saints Peter and Paul as part of a two-continent ritual to enthrone Lucifer in the Vatican. The other location for the ritual is in the Vatican itself, done under cover of darkness by high-ranking prelates of the church and done without the newly elected Paul VI knowledge. The purpose of the enthronement was to secularize the church's teachings and to secularize the church, to turn it away from spreading the gospel, not to have it become a satan overtly satanic organization. Agnes comes into the story because, as Malachi Martin recounts the story, the ritual involves the ritual rape of a very young girl on an altar. I know this stuff is hard to hear, but it was much harder to read when reading that novel. Again, some in the Catholic commentariat have irresponsibly and almost criminally dismissed the story, saying it was a conspiracy theory. The problem with that is, of course, that a young woman came out in the 1990s and said that she was Agnes. Her name was not Agnes, as Martin changed the name of the woman in the story, but this young woman did come forward and accused Bernadine and others of committing the heinous crime. Agnes has long since grown up to be a faithful Catholic woman, is married, has children, and lives a generally quiet life. But in the 1990s, she had been working quietly with private investigators in Chicago to try to get this crime pinned on the perpetrator. And that perp was, according to her, Joseph Bernadine. In his novel, Martin gave him the rather uncreative name of Leonardin. The author was in the habit of giving his characters, based on real-life figures, names that were rather easy to trace to their real-life counterparts. Incidentally, Martin claimed that the, that book and his other two works of fiction were actually not fiction in the slightest, and were 99% true. Take that as you will. I'm going to quote at length Brady's article from the late 1990s for Agnes's testimony in order to not mis misrepresent it. Quote, In the fall of 1957, in Greenville, South Carolina, Father Joseph Bernadine raped 11-year-old Agnes as part of a satanic ritual that involved, among other things, Bishop John Russell of Charleston. Brought to the event by an abusive father, Agnes was able at first to resist Bishop Russell physically, out of the knowledge that God had made her good, not bad as I was being told as she, that I was, her words. Bernadine then shown kindness and approval of her resistance in order to gain her trust and get her to relax. And then he raped her. He followed the rape with a perverted use of a host, in an attempt to make Agnes swallow the guilt of the event. In the fall of 1992, Agnes passed a polygraph examination regarding these events. She also, in early 1990, told her story to Malachi Martin, 
who had been recommended to her as someone who could get her information to the Vatican, which Agnes knew had sole and immediate jurisdiction over such a case. Martin later wrote a novel, Windswept House, with the premise that Agnes had given him, that the Catholic hierarchy's tolerance of heresy, liturgical abuse, clerical sexual misconduct, and clerical pedophilia had one overarching explanation at root, a network of Satanists whose smoke had ascended high in the church. End quote. As an aside, if you listen to Malachi Martin's interviews with Bernard Jansen from around that time in the early 1990s, he makes reference to Satanism in the church, but he never really goes into a lot of detail, though he would later in his book, obviously. 1957 is also the year that the victim in the church militant story cites as the year that he was assaulted by Bernadine in South Carolina. Cardinal Supich's problem in all this is that the Chicago Archdiocese had records of all the allegations made against Bernadine, including these allegations, made by Agnes and others, often to his face in interviews, which took guts. These records were hidden from federal investigators, which is a felony. So pay attention to the news in the church today, though I suspect that this story won't get wide traction. The notion that a cabal of satanic homosexuals had enough sway in the hierarchy of the church to prevent an investigation being conducted against an evil but widely loved prelate of the church is almost too sensational to be believed. But I'm reminded of stories I've heard from former Vatican insiders who have long since retired. They all recount the same thing, that messages and mail directed to certain offices in the Vatican, including and especially the Pope, was intercepted and read first by members of what we today call the Lavender Mafia. That often enough, popes never heard more than rumors and innuendo about the evils the prelates were engaged in. Pope Benedict XVI, as an example, famously told one group of concerned visitors that his authority ended at his office door. This isn't to give these popes a pass, but to provide some context on the grip these men had on the church, a grip who has, which has only gotten worse under the current pontificate, as evidenced by rather pathetic response to the McCarrick scandal, and as evidenced by the strange number of men with this deviant sexual inclination who are kept in close proximity to Francis. So what do you think of all this? Think it's sensational nonsense? Do you think someone is purposely handing church militant a story that is fake in order to discredit them? Let me know what you think in the comments below. I'm honestly interested because I'm not sure what to make of all of this. I just know that later today I'll be watching Church Militant to see what news story they break because they promise to have greater details this afternoon. And no, this is not meant to be a commercial for them. Anyway, as always, thanks for listening and thanks to the patrons of this channel. Please, especially now, keep praying for the liberation of the Church. God is rather obviously at work right now in letting this evil come to light, so keep praying for his continued intervention. I'm Anthony Stein. Viva Cristo Rey.